I believe that becoming a better man means being more reliable and more supportive in relationships. Whether that be with friends, family or partners, human connection is important for all of us. So I've designed a test that will help you improve yourself and your relationships. There's a link to it in the show notes. I'll tell you more at the end of this episode. For now, enjoy listening. This episode includes an account of child abuse and mentions of suicide attempts. We feel it's an important story to tell, but do take care when you're listening. Visit survivorsuk.org if you need support for any of the issues raised in this episode. The minute it had left their mouth, there was also a sickening feeling that was in my gut that genuinely felt like it was about to drop out. I'm pretty sure that the family member I was speaking to opposite the table could see it in my face, the colour drain out. And it was because I knew myself what was coming. Welcome to Stories of Men, Beneath the Surface. I'm Alex Melia. Join me as we discover what it means to be a man in the modern era. When someone you love shares an unspeakable secret, you have a choice. Hide away or step up. Today we're hearing how one man faced an impossible situation with both courage and honesty. Back in the summer of 2017, Jacob was finishing up his night shift at a hotel in Edinburgh when he got a text from a family member, someone he's really close to. They asked him to come round to talk. It had to be now and it couldn't be over the phone. Subconsciously, I knew that something wasn't right. I remember finishing up my shift, grabbing a bus at about 6am. I remember it still being pretty light. Made my way sort of to their home. It's an old council house, quite a dark and dingy living room. There was quite a bit of clutter around, a lot of artwork in the room. We'd sat down for a cup of tea. I remember feeling absolutely shattered because I'd started my shift at 10pm the night before. They just sat there, sort of looking extremely sheepish, and they seemed quite visibly upset. A family member then broke down, burst down in tears, confessed that they had basically been abused as a child. This hit me pretty pretty hard, like a brick wall, wanting to, to comfort them, but the minute it had left their mouth, there was also a sickening feeling that was in my gut that genuinely felt like it was about to drop out. I'm pretty sure that the family member I was speaking to opposite the table could see it in my face, the colour drain out, and it was because I knew myself what was coming. The person who was involved, the person responsible, the timeframes that it happened, all of this sort of sunk true to me because the same thing had happened to me. It was almost a point where I felt like I couldn't breathe. The minute it left their mouth, I just knew within myself it was the same person. I just knew. Everything seemed to all just join together like a jigsaw puzzle. We discussed it, shared our stories. Obviously when you're a male and you've been abused, there's an added stigma. So it was something I'd have died with. Would never have spoken to anyone about, would never have opened up about it. Would have definitely went to the grave with it, I think, and, and potentially actually could have sent me to the grave, really, with how much I'd, I'd kept it in. I simply could not keep that it had happened to me from this person either. I said to them it was me too. They said they had a great fear that it had also happened to me. You know, they were sickened by it, they were concerned for me, they were horrified. There was sort of a feeling of letting this person down. 
as of not being brave or when being younger and, and sort of speaking up on something, could I have stopped this? Could I have been that male figure in a family that, that can be a protector? And I think it was like, this is your life changing forever here. This is a genie that once it's out the bottle, it's out. And the fact that once we know this about each other and once we discuss this, you know, there's no going back from that. There was no feeling of relief at first. There was just a feeling of shame. But I did feel like, in a sense, I'd been a failure the minute I'd left their lips. I think we were both sort of in shock. You know, it was very somber. I don't think we were necessarily crying at the time. I don't think there was, it was just a real feeling of, of shock that it was all finally out there. And I think there was sort of just an acceptance that we were going to have to band together. They wanted to go to court, they wanted to do something about this. And I, pretty much at that moment in time, made the decision that it was my duty to stand behind them. A real coming together of trying to formulate a plan of how we get out of this, how do we navigate this, because this is going to be life changing. And it was. I think it basically ended on us both agreeing that we had to go to the police. Jacob, what happened in court and what was the what was the decision at the end of it? So we managed to get a conviction, uh, which is extremely rare, below 5%. It's a likelihood of getting a conviction for a historic child sexual abuse case. And um, what really helped was that the two of us were articulate, were educated were able to, you know, stand up to the scrutiny in court, but the treatment of victims throughout the case was was horrific. From me being interrogated in a police holding cell for over three hours, my statement, you know, in a room where there was caged CCTV cameras and caged windows, basically a place where they take people of, you know, committed crimes for questioning right up until when I arrived at court as a big six foot three, you know, hairy, happy-go-lucky guy. The support just wasn't there for me. It was sort of felt like, you know, any of the women that were in a group at the court were the ones that had to be sort of protected throughout the process of victim support groups were all, again, female-based and female-oriented, which I completely get because, you know, the vast majority of you know, abuse and sexual assault and different things is, you know, targeted towards women. But there really was a feeling that there was nothing for men. At the case, you know, even the defence were sort of really quite attacking me from my size, from my stature, almost trying to chip away at my masculinity in a sense to say, oh, you know, you were too big a lad, even as, you know, a young boy to have been abuse, which almost, to my sense, felt like I was being victim-blamed and all that was allowed to, you know, sort of happen in the court. And I mean, even though we got the conviction and the person went away... How long did they get? They got four years and they served under two, which is just the current justice system. We were informed three weeks before they were about to get out that they were getting out and said that we could essentially write a letter of appeal, but there wouldn't be much chance for it. And yeah, they pretty much got out. We'll be rebuilding their lives and everything else like that. Barely served any of their sentence. You've never seen that person ever again? Never seen that person ever again. Never seen that person ever again. There's been attempts at intimidation from their family over things like social media. You know, I, I work as a local journalist. 
um, they've targeted my work, targeted, you know, my other family member in other ways. There was attempts at intimidation during the court case. You know, we we essentially got cut off from a large part of our family following it. Like it was a really traumatic experience. Something that I think really almost leveled me, and in the long run, was the best thing that I could have done because the self-destructive behaviour and path that I was going down was all related to this abuse in the past and not coming to terms with it. And now going to court and coming to terms with it allowed me to grow as a man and to try and actually reassess what masculinity, you know, truly is. You know, you grew up, you always thought it was someone who was tough, someone who was rough and tumble. You know, we've got TV series, movies, books that show the central male character that, you know, will bend but will never break. That always made me feel like I was weak growing up. You know, I'd, I'd, I'd had attempts on my life at 17. I'd, you know, made serious plans to do it again at university, serious plans after, sort of, and the build up to the court case. And actually overcoming all of that, going to the court case, staring down my sort of abuser, going through the difficulties with the police, with everything else, to me, really, what refocused my idea on masculinity wasn't this tough guy persona. It was actually to be able to admit to myself, look, you're struggling. But also, you actually just being able to put one foot after the other and get out your bed. Each morning's a win. You know, going, we, we ended up getting a dog and it was the best decision I've ever done. Just walking the dog was a great thing. Cooking a meal was a big win. It wasn't this idea where, you know, I had to be seen as someone who couldn't cry. I then started feeling less guilty about crying. Started feeling less guilty about asking for help, about phoning friends and saying, look, I'm, I'm struggling a bit here, you know, and this is why. And um, I think there was a great empowerment that came from that. And I sort of started feeling like masculinity really is this feeling where it's being comfortable in your skin. It's accepting your deficiencies, but also trying to accept that you can't be Superman every day. You know, it isn't about going and you know, seeking revenge, beating someone up, you know, essentially trying to have a socks up and a stiff upper lip. I think it really is about talking about it. And I think that's what a large part of, you know, wanting to do this interview is, is, is to say out there that, you know, if you are a young man and you have been abused, that it's okay to cry. It's, it's absolutely fine to reach out to your friends and say, listen, this happened to me because, you know, ultimately those things are out of your control. The only thing that's within your control is how you react to it. And it's about trying to address the destructive behaviours that perhaps you had before you came to terms with the abuse that you had suffered. You know, I had a whole host of things from the minute I had a fake ID at 15, 16, drinking to passing out, just taking it to, you know, the limit every time at university, taking way too many drugs. You know, as a as a teen being way too promiscuous and things like that, you know, there was a real if I can self destruct in any way possible, I would have found a way to do it. It was in that kind of element of thinking. And it wasn't until I came to terms with the abuse and came to terms with actually telling people and listen, this has actually shaped the person who I am. And there is a reason for the depression, the anxiety, the destructive behaviours that allowed me to then think about how I'm tackling them how I can get over them when I came out and sort of confronted myself with the abuse. I think it allowed me to turn that next page and start the chapter of actually rebuilding who I was 
There is this stigma in society that you're less less of a man by coming out and sharing this stuff. Someone else coming forward gave you the permission to come out and say what had happened as well. And and I think coming out and saying how I feel about certain things has made me feel like more of a man. Vulnerability is considered a feminine quality. As men, we all have both a masculine side and a feminine side. We'll get back to the episode in a second. Before that, I just want to say, if you think this episode would be useful to a friend, send it along. You never know, it might just be the exact thing they're looking for today. And now back to the show. I think definitely. I mean, I think for me, a big fear was sort of how do I tell my mates? You know, I'm I'm very close to my friends. Like like we always have been. University, I, I definitely say my friend group, you know, saved my life at home. My friend group have saved my life at multiple times. Whenever I was down, they were always around the house, you know. Well, a crate of beer and a big bag of Doritos, maybe not the best thing for it, but you know, they would sit and they would keep you company and, and you know, you'd be good. But I think for me, seeing their reaction, especially sort of, you know, my two best friends who are, who are masculine figures themselves, and it just being complete and utter support and shock, actually, I'd gone through that because as a teen, I was a happy go lucky kind of guy on the outside. I was always like the class clown, the thing, he'd do everything else. They'd never suspected that it happened. But I think once I told other men and I came to terms with it, you know, even my own father was great with that, was just complete support. I think that really changed my perception completely as to, you know, they're not necessarily masculine or feminine attributes, they're just human attributes. It's just basically... You know, you can have strength in a different sense. Like someone even opening up about their abuse is an extremely, in my opinion, brave thing to do. Like you have got to have that, you know, element to your character. And that just completely reshaped the way I seen, you know, my relationship with my male friends. After that, I actually think even my male friends felt a lot more comfortable sharing with me. You know, it almost opened opened the door for us all. Mm. Have you found that some men are comfortable listening and understanding, and then there's some men who just feel awkward that you're telling them that? Maybe they're not used to someone being open and vulnerable with them. I mean, I've had that experience before. Some people do get taken aback more than others. And I don't necessarily think that's a negative character trick. I just think that some people are more have more lived experience, maybe more confidence in these things. For instance, my two best friends will be my best men at my wedding. They've went through things in their lives. Like, you know, they've experienced trauma. They've had difficulties. So for them to accept that and understand that, I felt like the other friends who had had mental health issues or battles or, you know, anything in their childhood that was traumatic, it didn't necessarily have to be abuse, were a lot more understanding because it felt like it came a lot more natural to them. In Scotland, we've got this whole manly man kind of culture and I think a lot of that can also be passed down by people's parents I'm quite lucky that you know my father would speak to me about emotions would speak to me about you know different things like that with more so with myself but would allow me to be me why do you think your dad is that way I think it's his political and social outlook in life he's um I would say extremely progressive in the way that he sees society I think he also is damaged from things. Don't get me wrong. He's one of these older men that will not go to the doctors for 
you know, even if their arm is falling off. And that's a weakness in itself. You know, that's a toxic masculine trait. I also think it's difficult. Like, who wants to talk about child abuse? I often think we make all these jokes about paedophiles and, you know, nonces and all these different things because it is such a difficult and dark subject for us to actually be able to navigate. And, I mean, I never felt any animosity or dislike for any friends that found it a bit difficult to talk about because I thought at times I find it difficult to talk about. I, I do agree with you. People just want to make jokes about it. I think that's part of British culture, isn't it? To make light of, of something that could be very, very deep, very difficult, very traumatic. I think it's human. Like, you see it all the time. I mean, I'm a fan of dark comedy. What actually helped me in as sick as it might sound, but after the court case, I found I could joke about it. And I felt like that did help me in male circles as well, was to be so brutally open that I could joke about it and I could talk about it in a lighter sense of things that also helped other people relax around talking about it. I think there were a few people that found it very difficult a subject to approach. They would ask, oh, how are you doing? She said, look, I'm actually really struggling. Like to the point where, you know, these suicidal thoughts are taking over my head, this, that, the next thing. Some people just check out that they have no idea how to navigate that situation. Yeah. I think it could be the fact that maybe no one's ever mentioned that to them before or they've seen certain things on TV or films or whatever, but they've never they've never experienced it to them themselves. So it's like, shit, this is out of my comfort zone. What? How do I deal with this? How much do is it tackled in you know popular culture, though? I know we have all these great dramas and different things and it does sometimes come up from time to time, you know, whether it's a true crime or something like that. But outside of that, type of entertainment there is no real discussion about the victims of child abuse how they feel how to approach these topics like when i was in school i don't ever remember getting taught you know what to do if that happened to you how do you what to do if a friend happens to you i know we're a lot better now with mental health and and trying to help people but i think we still got a long way to go especially in male circles of being comfortable i think i was blessed that my friends are who they are that my family are who they are like i think they they didn't really change their perception of me and that really helped i didn't become oh here's jacob the guy that was you know abused as a kid let's look down on him you know victim blaming anything of those sorts there was none of that there was just complete and utter acceptance and disgust that had happened to someone that you know was close to them um, but I think that was probably one of the the most challenging things was to tell other male friends. And in the end, it felt silly because it just ended up being absolutely fine. And it was the best thing I'd done because, as I said, it allowed me to come to terms with things. I was thinking as well that because I'm 35 years old, I've never had anyone come to me and say that I've got something to tell you. I was the victim of child abuse or sexual attack or anything like that. So it makes you think, especially when we're talking about men, how many people this has happened to. In our minds, every, you know, paedophile or child abuser or sexual abuse perpetrator looks like Jimmy Savile. That's our idea. They look like a monster. I think it's this horrifying feeling, and it was the same with the football coaching that these are people who are respected in society, often people who you could go for a pint with. I, I think as a society, it scares us to come to terms with the idea that they are not a boogeyman. They do not look like a boogeyman. Could be the person that sits next to you in the pub. Could be the person that's sitting next to you in the bus. 
could be a colleague at work, could be a family member. When these stories came out, it horrified us because they were children. But the national feeling was really to try and forget as soon as it came out because this thought that your children are not safe and they go away to football training, this feeling that your children are not safe and they go away, you know, on a family holiday, this feeling that your kids aren't safe, you know, walking down the street is almost too much for parents to bear, for even everyday people to bear that, you know, there are these folk out there in our society. It is that feeling that we do not want to accept that they could be someone that we would not recognise. We like to think we know what a monster is. That's a really good point, yeah. I wanted to touch on the masculinity side of things, the fact that you went into court, you're six foot three, and it's this whole misconception that I wanted to explore around what you said before, oh, well, you're a tall lad or you're well-built or whatever. You know, we can't possibly believe that you would be you would be sexually abused because you should be able to protect yourself from a grown man. I think what's really interesting about this is I think it was the actor Terry Crews I've seen interviewed about something similar. Now, I think it was more like sort of exploitation in, in the acting world. I mean, everyone knows he's built like an absolute house. The guy's a unit. And, and I mean, it can happen to him, it can happen to anyone. For me, my abuse stopped, I would say, when I was probably about 12, 13. Um, around about that age, 12, 13. It's, it's difficult to remember because with that childhood trauma, your mind can do a thing, but it just blacks out. Like, I barely remember much from my childhood. Why Why did it stop as well, actually? I stopped it at that age and, and came to a conscious kind of... I think I was just able to naturally stop it. I became psychologically mature enough to recognise that it wasn't right. Um, and there was a shame in different things that was in that. Yeah, it was it was a dicey game, I'd say for them. It was it was something that they did not they didn't want to continue out of fear of probably getting caught. I think that it was just I was making too many protests like, you know, protestations and, and everything else. But to go back to what you'd said about the court case, I was tall, was probably quite skinny, which was funny on the outside at school, everything else, I was super confident. Um I was always seen as maybe a bit weaker within my family was always quite psychologically weaker so I mean my size I don't think mattered I think psychologically I was already pretty scarred at that age and that's what made it easier to take advantage of me it wouldn't have mattered if I was six foot three at age 12 I think I was just primed for that uh, but I found it extremely difficult in the court case when they were bringing up the size when they were bringing up the fact that you know you were like a still quite a fit and active young teen. How could you not have sort of fought off and, and said something? Obviously, this is just something you've completely fabricated. That sort of made you feel you were sort of in the in the firing line for victim blaming. At the time, it actually made me just double down. I sort of felt, how dare you? Because obviously, by this time, I'm in court. I'm in my 20s. I've matured a lot. Um, I also like to think of myself as very socially liberal. Even when I was treated by the people who were meant to be on my side at the court with just zero support, I kind of knew that my appearance would always be the first thing that people go to. Like, oh, he was a big lad. He was this, he was that, he was the next thing. The psychological element always came into it second. And I found it really funny because... The defence actually tried to bring up, you know, my relationship with alcohol, my relationship with drugs at university. 
almost my abuse of that, I felt showed how damaged I was psychologically by it and actually superseded the fact that you were looking at this big six foot three guy with a big beard and a suit on in that witness box claiming to have been abused. And you've also got to bear in mind, you know, I was a big 12 year old, but even when, you know, you walk the dog at the park, 12 year olds are still tiny. They are still these little innocent, you know, humans that is just unthinkable for you to say, well, you know, they were taller than most, they should have known better, or <laughs> they should have been able to fight off. We still have a ways to go as a society to really accept the vulnerability of children, to even the vulnerability of teenagers, the vulnerability of, you know, I'd probably say I didn't even feel like a man until I was 25, 26. I genuinely felt like a lost little boy. I remember my dad saying to me when I was really depressed, it was actually after my first um, first suicide attempt, and he said to me, I know this is going to be so hard for you to see now because it feels like everything that is happening is going to impact the rest of your life and everything else. But honestly, when you get to 23, 24, your brain and everything is going to change so much. You're going to become so much more comfortable in your skin. And that means nothing to you now at 17, but you just got to keep yourself alive and get to that stage. At the time, I was thinking, yeah, you just don't understand. I got to 24, 25 myself, and I was like, Cor, wow. (laughs) I completely see what he was saying. And I'd say the exact same to any young teen, young man out there struggling, or even older male that's not came out and sort of shared their truth. Like, I think if you do, no matter which way you do it, even if you just want to be truthful with yourself or truthful with people around you, you don't. I mean, to me, I wouldn't necessarily recommend going to court. I think it was a horrible experience and really for them to go to jail for two years. I was shocked when you said two years then. They only served two years. Even if sentenced to four years, this is years of abuse. And then to only get four years and then serve two is is just... I feel a sense of anger for you and not just for you and the other person, but for however many people this happens to, you know, that the sentences are so so small and i think it is they take a life i mean this will never leave me like it's still if i'm in the shower in the morning i still have like flashbacks when i was going through the court case i was having night terrors you know even sometimes when i was out and feeling super anxious it's like i'm looking over your shoulder and like i say i'm a big six foot three like what am i doing looking over my shoulder for things like that but has this psychological impact you know, this this real worry and, and for them to get two to four years and for you to essentially have a life sentence, I think is is something that is really difficult for survivors or victims or whatever language you want to use or you can come to terms with it in many ways. It doesn't necessarily have to be going through, you know, the legal system because that was one of the worst. The best thing that I did once the court case was over, I, I sort of said to myself, right, this is the beginning of the rest of my life here. Time to start building, you know, a career, a family, a thingy, move on. I think if I were to see them, the fear would probably come back. I think I would maybe need a couple more years to not feel like I would want to basically attack them. But I think that's more 
because of what I heard that they had done to someone close to me rather than what was done to me. I think I could move on and could see them and could just pass them in the street. It's difficult. I think for me to continue with the rest of my life, the easiest thing for me to do is to try and just forget that they even exist. Just if I were to come face to face with them in the next couple of years, I think the best thing for me to do would be to leave. I'd hope that through growing and sort of if we eventually get the proper therapy through the NHS, I would hope that I could, you know, just say, look, like I actually do forgive what happened in the past. I know that what happens in one moment isn't the mark of a person. Uh, can still say that I feel, you know, they should have carried themselves better. Could have avoided the whole court case and everything else by just holding their hands up and, you know, admitting guilt and apologising. I think it was more the pain that they dragged everyone through I would still struggle to come to terms with right here and now. It's easier for me to continue living my life if I shut them out of it. I think I still need a few years to go over that. I want to sincerely thank Jacob for sharing his story and having so much courage in order to say it. Also the courage to take his case public even when the chance of conviction is incredibly low. In the year ending March 2019, convictions for child abuse were just 5% in the UK. 5%. It makes me feel incredibly angry for what Jacob has had to go through. Sadly, it's become an all too common story in the UK where people can commit terrible acts of abuse on others and receive incredibly light sentences or no sentence at all. Where are the changes to the legal system? It also got me thinking that we don't usually hear from male victims of abuse. Why is that? Is it because male victims feel more ashamed? They feel less of a man? They feel like they should have stood up to them? These could be possible reasons. After getting to know Jacob, I've realized what an incredible guy he is, not just for telling his story today, but for all the other people that he's helping out there. He could be forgiven by just wanting to brush this under the carpet and forget about it. But no, he's out there trying to help other people who are victims of abuse. And we thank him for that. Before you go, I need to tell you about our man test. Because as men, we can struggle to forge strong relationships, often by being bad communicators. I've definitely been there. This podcast is about helping you better understand who you are as a man to become the best version of yourself. And the team and I have designed a simple quiz for you to discover more about your identity as a modern man. It takes less than three minutes to complete and it's going to help you establish better relationships and form stronger connections. Whether that's with your partner, friends or co-workers, the man quiz is going to help you become more trustworthy, reliable and dependable in all your relationships. Find the link to the quiz in the show notes now. You never know, you might just learn something new about yourself that you didn't know before.